Thank you for joining me for part two. Um, I hope you enjoyed part one. I've done two parts this time because it was just too long. So if you manage to get through part one, welcome back. And here's a continuation. We're talking about the Europeans and about the era of 1492 when Europe became free of the Moors. And through that process, they found the Americas and slave trade started soon after. It was quite a while after, but soon after, I used the phrase soon. In time, it was soon, uh, because we're talking about masses of history. So soon after the slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade of Africans started. But this is where it's very interesting. Christopher Columbus's ventures started straight after the last Moor was chased out of Spain. Now, we already know that historically, the Moors and North Africans had probably, by record and evidence, travelled from North Africa across to the Americas already. There was already black people, African people in the Americas. There were tribes, there was Native American tribes in Africa already. Uh, so in... Um, America already from Africa. So they already were traveling people, very much like you might say the, the Vikings, how they traveled across the sea. The same with the Africans, the uh, North African Moors had traveled. So we already know that the chances are that these Africans had experienced the Americas, perhaps had trade routes with them, any, anything. We can see as well with the historical records of the pyramids, the pyramids being in northern Africa, the new, uh, uh, the Nubian Af Egypt, and we can also see that these similar, if not identical, pyramids have been set up in South America, the Aztecs, those regions. So we already know that there is a, a link. So through that process, we have a history or a mapping of land across the ocean. Now, the Europeans may not have come across this land, but it would seem that they learnt of it from the Moors. As I said, as soon as the last Moor had no longer took control of Spain and Portugal, suddenly this Austrian man that was being supported, funded and encouraged by Spain and Portugal to cross the ocean on this adventure. And obviously he found himself supposedly in the wrong place, etc, etc, but by and by. So the slave trade that ensued started after that. Now, what could have possessed a person from the Spanish region, funded by the Spanish people, the Spanish kings, to want to, one, travel, and two, start the slave trade. 
the process of the slave trade. Now, we know that after 400 years of being both enslaved and colonized, that the chances are, and this is all chance, but it seems particularly coincidental, the chances are that revenge or negative attitudes or whatever you want to see uh, from human nature, that they would have been going to the Africas. They were empowered. They'd driven back their enemy. They'd obviously lost people, loved ones to slavery as well, this process. So now they were finding they were in control. So they would have, by nature, at the same period and time, attended African shorelines and taken slaves. Because this this was now there was no, it wasn't a case of f- forgiveness. Oh, you've you've had seven hundred years of colonization, enslaving, and taking uh, European slaves to Africa, and now we forgive you. That there would have been vengeance issues. So then you had this new European wave of the slave trade going into Africa, North Africa, uh, Senegal. Nigeria, along the coast, Ghana, because they were now trying to enslave the very people who had enslaved them. They'd driven them back. People say, where did racism come from? Where did racism come from? Well, a lot of racism had come from these negative experiences that had been passed through the lineage. Not only that, but you have to um, consider other principles. So in England, in Newcastle, there's reports of, or there's there's evidence of a legion of African Roman soldiers. So again, if you're oppressed by a legion of African Roman soldiers, it may be Rome, but your experience is with those African people, African faces. So you can inherit racism from negative experiences. It doesn't have to just be that you want to hate another colour, but that you can actually experience a negative experience of those people groups, and then it's passed down. Now, am I justifying racism? Not at all. Don't get this wrong. I'm just trying to deal with the facts, historical facts here. So anyway, moving forward. So now you've got the Middle East issue. You've got the slave trade issue. All of these things all cropping up at the same time. And at the same time, we're all trying to find justice. So you turn around and say, well, where, where do I draw the line for justice? If every, I've always said this, if every human being had to return to the homeland of their people, then the world would look like a completely different place. Whether that be a South Africa moving to North Africa, whatever it is, it is a, a movement that would be massive. Europeans moving all over Europe, all sorts, but it would be a massive migration. So it's not really a possibility so I'm looking at the principle of humanity over time, drawing those lines in the sand. Where is a justified line of time? Is conquest a justified line of time? But today we say conquest is not acceptable. But most of our borders are set up from conquests. Africa has been set up by the race for Africa that was Europeans putting borders in. Ownership. Now, those borders weren't African borders. They did exist in their own tribal way, but the same way as America's states existed in tribal ways. But it didn't mean that 
it was these are the European border lines. You know, I want to quickly talk about the concept of uh, the race for Africa. People talk about the race for Africa as being the desire to conquer Africa and Africans. That wasn't necessarily the case. Um, you had accounts of the Belgian king. The Belgian king fell in love with the explorer's writings of the Congo. Yeah, the, the river through the Congo, all the exploits, the adventures. He fell in love with that dream, that vision. So he sent delegates, armies to the Congo to conquest it, to, um, you know, as I say, he, he fell in love with this dream of it. Basically, he wanted it. He wanted to possess it. He's the king. He wanted to possess this land. But when this started, when this process started, other European royal families, other European powers that were already divided, then raced for Africa because they saw it as a um, plan of power, a move of power. So when you see your enemy or your possible enemy getting more powerful, then you race for that ultimate power. Now, you've got two ways of doing that. One is you destroy your enemy in their land, which is an act of war. Or two, you take the resources before they take the resources, which is why you had this race for Africa, in my opinion, because of the timing. Again, the timing of these things. There's no real accounts of we want things in Africa. The way that they wrote about Africa, they had very little respect for the people in the land. And as I said, uh, that being obvious reasons, because if they'd just been colonized, et cetera, et cetera, they don't, they're not going to have much respect. They're not. But, you know, you very rarely respect the person who has conquered you. So in that process, they've raced for African soil. And they've carved it up. So many of the people in the land, even India, you look at India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, it's been carved up. These borders have been set in place by Europeans. Australia, inhabited by Europeans. Canada and America, Europeans. So we can see these these mass migrations. It'd be very difficult to uh, draw a line in the sand, one, of time, and draw a line in the sand of land. What's, which is the true people of that land? Which Who really owns it? So many lands we just accept. This was conquest, and it is what it is. We're not going to fight it out and say, you know, in this day and age, after 2,000 years, we're going to draw the lines differently in the sand because it's not fair on those people. We just don't do it. Whether it be the Middle East, whether it be the Americas, you know, it's just, we've just accepted that these borders are set. And every now and then you have small fractions of fighting, different um, nationalities, different groups. But... My issue is still coming back to this one thing. It's very difficult to draw lines in the sand for justice. It's very difficult. Because if we draw a line in the sand 400 years ago for African-American slavery, then we also have to draw a line in the sand for Africans in Europe enslaving people. Now, we could also turn around and say, yeah, but that version of slavery was harsher. Yeah, but... I hear these arguments all the time. Yeah, but but at the end of the day, a crime is a crime. Justice is justice if you're serving it properly. We can't draw a line in the sand that slavery was wrong, captive uh, colonization is wrong, and then turn around and say, yeah, but it was okay for Africans to colonize um, Europe. 
It was okay for Africans to enslave Europeans. They were they just they they treated people nicer when they brought those people over, but they they still had slaves captured slaves. So we can't turn around and make that decision. And we also can't glorify Mensa Musa as the wealthiest man in the world ever, as an African, when much of his wealth might have come from slave trade. If we're going to then turn around and say the slave trade is wrong and that the, the British Empire was wrong. Things like this. Uh, let me just touch on the British Empire quickly uh, before I finish up on this because I want to be quite brief on these subjects because they are deep, they're long but I want you to go away and look if you want to uh, yeah, British Empire now people think British Empire wonderful, they, they did away with slavery by the way, up to today I believe that one of the first and only nations to make slavery illegal totally is the British and the European uh, nations which is ironic, considering, but as far as I'm aware, other nations have not made that same declaration. It might be international law, but it's not a legitimate declaration from most nations. But anyway, that's beside the point. That's a bit of, I call irony. Anyway, quickly going back. So the Americans, they've got the Industrial Revolution. The British becoming very wealthy through the Industrial Revolution. Um this expanded which again interestingly expanded to russia at ukraine one of the wars the reason they're warring in russia and ukraine is because a scottish aka british man went over to the region um where uh, sorry i can't pronounce it but where the war is in ukraine and russia and started a industrial revolution there where the Russians moved in to fill the jobs, which was otherwise a farming area. And through that process, um, that migration, that mass migration of Russians um, for work, uh, turned the area wealthy, industrialized. Uh, the Ukrainians then obviously weren't happy, etc., etc. World War lost kind of possession and ownership of the the factories because nobody was really using them and then that cycle went back where the russians returned so you know again the british empire uh the industrial revolution we applaud all these things like industrial revolution innovation but it has a lot to answer for so same with the cotton and slavery industry so we have this british um industrial revolution so with the British Industrial Revolution, we also have the principle of the um, slave trade, obviously. And then we had people that were sneaking across to um, from Britain that were working in... Sorry, I've been distracted. Uh, people that were working in um, the Industrial Revolution in the UK, they moved over to America. They fled because they'd learnt whatever secrets. They fled to America with those secrets and started an industrial industrial revolution in America. When that industrial revolution in America started, then the Americans then had an opportunity at wealth. So this is where it got very interesting because the Americans then raised the taxes to 40 plus percent for British imports because that would sort of cripple the cripple the British imports because obviously they'd have to pay all these massive taxes. This is where the slave trade kind of comes into play. 
because the British knew that the slave trade was fueling a lot of this industrial revolution, a lot of this cotton, etc., etc., the sugar. It was in, it was fueling this industry growth in America and the wealth and the power. So because of independence, etc., etc., you now had the British go to war on the slave trade. So they would start. They would stop boats that were going slave um, trading boats that were going across to Americas. Obviously, you had the abolish, abolish, abolitionist. Even sorry about that. Um, they were putting pressure under the British um, monarchy. They were putting pressure under pressure under the British government um, to end slavery. But I think ultimately it became an act of. Uh, financial, financial act of war strategy against the Americans because of this tax hike. This tax hike seemed to be an act of aggression against the British. So the British in return had a attack against the slave trade. Now, you know, as I said, we like to think of it as 100% justice, but I don't feel that it was 100% justice. I personally, looking at the statistics, looking at the information, etc., etc., I would say that it was partially justice because of um, the pressure that was given onto the government. But I think a lot of it was predominantly because of the timing. A lot of it was predominantly to do with a, a, an attack on American wealth. So, you know, through through this taxation process. But yeah, you know, we can see all of these historical things tied together, and. Where do we draw the line? Is the British government wrong? But then so was the African-Egyptian government. Was um, Spain wrong? Then so was the Moors. So where do we draw the line? This is what I keep asking the question. Because we we each of us draw the line where we want to. Each of us. And that isn't justice, that is bias. And justice is not bias. The whole point of the scales is equality, equal justice, not biased justice. I don't think you can draw a line in the sand. And I think that when you go full circle, another discussion that I, I have is that nature is inherently, whether it was from the beginning, but today nature is inherently violent. I know that um, Darwin taught of survival of the fittest, to some extent, I do think that there is a principle of survival of the fittest, not totally. But nature itself has a survival of the fittest. So does humanity. So we applaud mighty warriors, but then we don't applaud our enemies as mighty warriors. Only our own mighty warriors. I know that a lot of African culture is about applauding the mighty warriors of African descent, whether it be tribe versus tribe, whatever it is. Same with the um, Native Americans. But if another warrior comes in who is not of their own, then suddenly these are evil men. But an evil man is only an evil man because they are not on your side. If they're on your side, then they are mighty warriors, mighty conquerors, mighty defenders. And this comes back to the same question. Where do we draw a line in the sand between a warrior and an evil man, between a defender and an evil man? 
We draw a line in the sand with clan. It comes back to clan. Who is of our own? So if you have somebody convert, so somebody may be Muslim, they convert to Christianity, and suddenly the Christian conquests were acceptable and the Muslim conquests were bad. Do you see? It's all about what side you're on. And I think for me, it's very much, it's, it's important to know what is, so to serve justice is to not draw a line in the sand where it favours us. But this is where it gets interesting because you kind of say to yourself, you know what, all, all people are evil. All people have done the same crimes. All people have done the same wrongs. All people have sinned, as the expression goes. And therefore, all people need to forgive and all people need to get off their high horse and all people need to stop believing that they are the greatest, the most righteous, the most innocent, the most... And we just need to get over this concept because all that happens at the end of the day is that if you... I have this phrase, the oppressed become the oppressor. That's all that happens. If you see yourself as oppressed and you cannot forgive somebody, then the chances are you will become an oppressor, whatever your fight is. If you are pro-Palestine, you will be glad that Israel is oppressed. If you are pro-Israel, you are glad that Palestinians are oppressed, or whatever phrases you want to use. If you are pro-African, you will be glad the Europeans were oppressed. If you are pro-European, then you will be glad the Africans were oppressed. Whatever it is, the oppressed become the oppressor. That's the nature of vengeance rather than forgiveness is the nature of humans and we need to get over ourselves because that is what I've seen through history over and over and over again. The good become the bad, the oppressed become the oppressor and it's over and over and if you can challenge that you've seen something different, I don't want to hear, but they were worse, but they were worse is not a thing. Killing is killing. Enslavement is enslavement. Chains are chains. You know, how we bind somebody, whether it be a rope or a chain, how we um, discipline somebody, whether it be cutting off their hands or putting them in prison, the principles, the overall principles, still remain true and steadfast. Anyway, on that interesting concept... This is why I like to discuss and debate with people. If you want to come on with me, podcast, we can sort something out. Drop me a note. But yeah, that's where we're at. That's what I wanted to talk on today. Kind of heavy, a lot to process. But do the numbers, do the crunching, go online. You know, I might spark some interest. I'm not justifying anything, not at all. All slavery is problematic. All murder is problematic. All hurt is problematic. Um, can I see reasons behind it? Often. If it's survival of the fittest, yeah. I can understand why somebody would become all powerful and all oppressive. Because if you perceive that that will help you survive and thrive, then you're, you're going to do things like that. That's Unless you're a wise person, unless you're a thinking person, unless you're a sensible person, unless your enemies stretch out the hand of friendship. 
you will inevitably want to be more powerful and oppress your enemies. On that note, this has been No Holds Barred. Once again, Big Ben, look forward to the next episode. Stay blessed. Thank you.